Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. You know who had a day? Speaking of somebody who had a day, how about the Rams? They had a day and they had a parade yesterday. And for all of you haters saying that L.A. is not a sports town and that nobody would show up, I have this to say to you. It was 61 degrees. The hell do you expect? Damn near freezing. I said 61. You think that I'm going to get all layered up, bundled up, and step outside and stay outside in that kind of weather? You're expecting people to stand around in sub-70 temps for hours waiting for a parade. Hell no. But all right, come on now. Let's hear your jokes. Let's hear about how there were more bathrooms than fans. That there were more Rams players than Rams fans. (laughs) That there were more police officers than fans. Yo, Les. Hilarious. Or maybe that they should have added the Lakers and the Dodgers just to pad the numbers. Better yet, they should have had the Lakers and Dodgers in the crowd to double its size. Go ahead. Come on in here. Say that it was 61 degrees and there were 61 fans. Good bleep, yo. Yo. Let me ask you this. Does it make you feel better? Do you feel better about you? Do you feel better about your team after you say all that? Does that make up for your team not winning a Super Bowl? Do you feel better about your entire life after peddling that bullcrap to me? Does living in some fantasy land where your team just won the Super Bowl and you had a billion fans show up make you feel better about how your team actually did? Because the Rams actually won the Super Bowl and your team did not. So why is it so important to you that your team has more fans than the Rams? That your team has fans that represent harder than the Ram fans? Yeah, you know what? You know what the Rams have? More Super Bowl parades this year than your team. And that's the only scoreboard that matters. Go ahead, look up at it. But if you want to make jokes about the parade, feel free to direct them to whoever changed the Hollywood sign to a Rams house sign. Man, I'll give you that. Not only does that not make sense, it looked terrible. I mean, it looked like ass. It looked horrible. Los Angeles, and this is what I do not understand. Los Angeles is home to the greatest set designers, visual effects artists, lighting designers, and prop houses in the entire world. If you've ever seen these folks work, they're like absolute magicians. It's incredible. They're brilliant at what they do. And by the way, there are thousands of them throughout the city. You could throw a football at a SoFi Stadium and hit hundreds of them. They're everywhere. There is so much of that talent concentrated in this town. Yet, that's what you come up with? Just papering over each letter of the Hollywood sign with a different letter that doesn't look anything like the original letter and sure as hell does not blend into the landscape. It's disgusting, Jim. It is disgusting. Half-assed does not begin to do that justice. That thing wishes it was good enough to be half-assed. That looked like a kindergartner's homework if the kid got into grandpappy's cough medicine and then got loose on a Xerox machine. Like, normally I don't want to crush somebody else's work, especially on a project like that, but I'm not sure anybody actually worked on that project. It looks like they quickly typed out Ram's House, emailed it to a print shop, and called it a day. But did you run out of construction paper and glue? So if you want to clown that part of the parade, feel free to clown that. Clown the hell out of that because that did embarrass this city. And again, I know it was only 61 degrees outside and probably the so-called artists that were involved and their fingers must have been freezing together. They probably were so numb that they taped it onto the sign. But that was terrible. 
It's grotesque. Brandy Chastain's Hall of Fame plaque. Can't believe how terrible that was. That is a disgusting act. It really was. I need like some sort of palate cleanser or a mind eraser, something, anything to get me to unsee that bullcrap. I don't care how many fans were at the parade and the rally because the Rams players and front office brought it yesterday. This is what we should be focused on, starting with GM Les Snead. GM Les Snead showed up in a t-shirt of Les Snead. Let me repeat that. GM Les Snead showed up in a tee of Les Snead. Normally, it would be a big, fat bag. B-A-G, bag move. Bag is short for D-bag. D-bag is short for douchebag. Not less, though, man. That shirt was incredible. Less has a shirt of less with the caption, bleep them picks. The only thing better than wearing a T-shirt with your own face on it and saying that, and having it captioned like that is getting up on the mic and then actually articulating that. So in honor of the shirt, F them picks, we'll use them to go win more Super Bowls. Such a great line. Such a great line. And then secondly, did you hear the crowd after that? Did you not listen to this? Listen to the uproar, the roar of the crowd in response to Les getting them going. Listen. Them picks will use them to go win more Super Bowls. I mean, listen to that crowd. There had to be like, like tens of people. There had to be like ones of people. Listen to that. And let me tell you, Sneed was not the only one up there with some sick threads. Andrew Whitworth showed up wearing a t-shirt with Cooper Cup's shirtless high school photo on it. It was incredible. Oh, and speaking of shirts, Aaron Donald decided to skip the shirt with a message and go without a shirt altogether, which definitely sent a message. Let's if you go follow live me. to the bus. Aaron Donald, ladies and gentlemen, has lost the shirt. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Go. You are looking for your viral moment. No one's thrown the Lombardi yet. Aaron Donald, that is a bad man right there. Listen, I'm not sure if he, quote, lost his shirt. Or if his shirt just gave up, because that's not just a bad man. That is a big man. That is a massive man. It looked like the Incredible Hulk somehow snuck into the parade. I mean, holy crap. Imagine trying to block that dude and that physique in the fourth quarter. No wonder he dominated the last two plays of that game. And whatever you do, do not come up in here and compare that to J.R. Smith at the Cavs parade. I love J.R., but comparing a shirtless JR and a shirtless Aaron Donald is unfair to both these cats. Let me tell you something. I do like that tune, though, a lot. If I looked like Aaron Donald, I wouldn't even own a shirt. I would not own a shirt. I would not wear a shirt ever, either on or off the field. I would just throw the shoulder pads on and begin terrorizing fools. Hell, he doesn't even need the pads. He's already got built-in shoulder pads. But of course, a parade is only as good as the sound clips that you get from it. This is how I measure a parade. Not by the attendance, but by the drops. The sound drops. And we got a couple of good ones. Take Aaron Donald speaking for everybody in the parade when he went with this. Like I said, I've been drinking a little bit, so... <laughs> so, we're having a good time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to linger like this for at least the end of the week, so we world champions! Ah! How about that? I like it. Or how about Sean McVay? Even better. Sean McVay ripping the mic and asking Aaron to come back next season. Aaron, Sean McVay just tapped me on the shoulder. He wanted to know if you were interested in running it back. Everything, 
We, we, we built the super team. We can bring the super team back. Why not run it back? We could be world champions. Yeah! Again. Oh, he just went mad dog. Yeah! Yeah! Hey, Alvin, put those up side by side, and you tell me if you can tell the difference, and if you can tell me which one is the mad dog and which one is McVeigh. Seriously, almost indecipherable. How about that? NFL coaches, generally the most boring, buttoned-up dudes on the planet. The best Bill Belichick could muster was a no days off, no days off chant like he was at a parade, and he's telling everybody, I'm going back to work, no days off. Not McVay. Nah, not yesterday. How about an NFL head coach? Red silo cup in hand, screaming, run it back, run it back. Run it back, run it back. I mean, was dude up there playing beer pong while he was doing it? If I didn't know any better, I'd say that McVeigh had a drink or 50. My guy's up there looking and sounding like a frat bro on spring break. A shredded, blasted frat bro on spring break. And I loved it. Run it back. Dude's up there like a mini Hulk. He should have ripped his shirt off too. But as good as all that was, that's still all going to get the silver medal compared to Matthew Stafford because dude stole the show again. Now you haters can doubt him all you want. You can ignore the bomb to Cooper Cup against the Bucks. You can deny that no-look pass to Cup on the Super Bowl winning drive. You can question his Hall of Fame credentials, but... You cannot deny that he is a Super Bowl champ and that he is loving his life right about now. At the same time, I'm damn happy to be standing up here with you guys celebrating this Come on. Come on. Let's go, y'all. I'm going to bring a little Southern hospitality to this. I appreciate y'all so much. You guys have been unbelievable. Unbelievable all year. And you know what? We appreciate you. Let's go. Man, what a party. This dude was like, I ain't bring some of that Southern Hospitality. I bring some of that Southern Bring some Southern Hospitality or some Southern Comfort. My man sounded like he was about to go to a hospital or a morgue. And I'm not hating it either. I love it. Not only do I love him up there acting like that, I love him up there with the 42, smashing it. Anybody who knows anything about the tequila life, recognize that bottle. 30 seconds long, 30 seconds of glory. You gotta, come on. Come on. Check that, you gotta, come on. Come on. Come on, like the fake silk bra. Come on, come on. We also got a short, let's go, y'all. Let's go, y'all. The throwback to his catchphrase, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Followed by the all-important extended pull on the 42. And then the extended, let's go. Let's go. Before he staggers away from the mic, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Get our stomachs pumped. Let's go. Slip into a coma. I have not seen a dude enjoying a parade that much since Brad Hole got loose and tried to sing. Glory, Gloria. Let's go. Gloria, Gloria. I think I got your number, Gloria. I don't know about Gloria's number, but Hoey's breathalyzer number had to have been about a billion. So... If you want to hate on the Rams fans for not showing up, that's fine. If it makes you feel better, because you know what makes me feel better? Matthew Stafford hitting that 42 like it's his job. That's unbelievable. Because it was his job, and he executed it perfectly. Let's go. Let's go. And why am I so personal about that? Because I'm Rambo Jim? No. It's personal to me because Stafford was drinking right from my go-to, the 42, which was incredible. 
And being fully transparent, I think you know my deal. I've covered this. I hit that bottle on most weekends. Not that hard, of course. But that is my go-to. I hit that on most weekends. But never directly from the bottle the way he did. That was every bit as, if not more impressive, than anything he did on the season. Those of us in the 42 club can attest to that. Those of us who rep 42 Nation can attest to that. That was a great move by him. And then finally, finally, after seeing Aaron Donald with his shirt off, there should be a rule in society that nobody could ever go shirtless ever again. And I'm not saying just victory parades. I mean everywhere. Concerts, gyms, public pools, beaches, saunas, showers. Nobody should be allowed to do that. And again, if I were him, I would either burn all my shirts, give them all away, sell them on eBay, whatever. I would just go into my closet and make sure that if I were Aaron Donald, there would not be a single shirt hanging. Why? For who? For what? He doesn't need them. Not if you look like that. And even though we were way over, I would just say this. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean, on a serious note, does that mean that he and McVay or he or McVay are not going to retire? I don't know. They were blasted. You ever ask anybody anything that matters when they're blasted? The answer you get the next day when they're hanging is going to be a lot different. Didn't sound like anybody was shutting it down yesterday. So, that was a 20-minute way of saying, if you're coming in here to crack on how few fans there were, that was a 20-minute way of saying, yeah, because it was 61 degrees. Get the hell off my back. The best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then, automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. No huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why money Investopedia and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance LLC, member FINRA SIPC. It is Tony Vaselli. Tony, it is great to have you on the show. Tony, how are you? Jim, I'm doing good, man. It's been a second. Tony, it has been a second. This is why I'm so hyped to talk to you. And I do have to ask, you have waited a long time for this. So, one, great to have you on. Two, how does it feel to hear yourself introduced as a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Tony? I tell you what, I'm never going to, I've never been used to it that way. It just uh, puts a big smile on my face. I mean, it's, you know, as you know, Jim, it's the, it's the biggest individual honor that anyone who plays the game of football can um, receive. And it's, you know, to have my name etched next to all the greats who ever played this game um, is quite humbling. Pro, in fact, that's the word I was going to ask you about in one minute. Tony Baselli joining us. He's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 22. Tony, the person who gave you the official word that you were going into the Hall of Fame was none other than the great Anthony Munoz. What was that moment like when you answered the door and he was standing there in a gold jacket? Yeah, I mean... I mean, Anthony, he's an SC guy like I was, and um, in my opinion, the greatest to ever play the position. I mean, he's the standard. I mean, he's the guy who I wanted to be like. And uh, I was fortunate enough over the years to develop a really good relationship with Anthony. Um, As good a player as he was, uh, he's a better person. And so, you know, he's always been super supportive, helpful. And so when I opened the door and saw the gold jacket and Anthony Munoz sitting there, and then behind him, my entire family, is it's one of those moments in life you'll never forget. It's it's you have all sorts of emotions that just flood you. And when he shook my hand and gave me a big hug and said, "Welcome to the team," 
and we're going to be teammates forever. It's something I'll cherish for, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. It's something that uh, if I would have dreamt it and tried to write a script um, of how this all worked out, I would, there's nothing better in that moment right there. Tony, what a great description. I mean, that truly is goosebump stuff right there. Tony Baselli is my guest. And Tony mentioned it right off the very top that you were so humbled by it. In the video, it was striking, I thought, how grateful and humbled you were by the honor. Can you explain why you are so humbled by this? What's that like? Um, well, Jim, I, I'm just a firm believer. You don't have success. You don't get to where you're going or where you, what your goals and dreams are by yourself. I just, I, I think it's, it's the people in your life. It's the people that along the journey that have big impacts, you know, and I've, I've said all along, even before I was a Hall of Famer, I mean, I didn't make myself six, seven in athletic. I mean, that's a gift from God. God smiled on me for whatever reason. And, and then the other thing that God did for me was put amazing people in my life, starting with my family, my dad, my parents, um, great coaches, uh, mentors, you know, teammates, I review this as like me making all fame. Yeah, it's an individual honor, as I said, but I wouldn't have gotten there without amazing people and the opportunities that I had in Jacksonville to play for the Jaguars, you know, the great games I was able to play uh, against the great players. I mean, that's all that w what got me here. And so to me, it's, you know, listen, there's a, I'm proud. There's a big smile on my face. It feels good. It's a, it's an, a huge accomplishment, but it's not lost on me that, um, there's a lot of people that have, you know, allowed me and helped me um, and pushed me uh, to get me to this point. And so that's the humbling part. And, and that combined with the fact that if you look, I'm, I mean, I'm a football junkie. I always have been. I mean, I can, since I can remember, this is what I wanted to do. And the guys in the Hall of Fame, you know, those are the, that was the standard. And that's what, you know, those are the guys who made the game great who paved the way for people like me. And to have my name next to theirs, included with theirs, like, like I don't even have the words for the emotions um, that kind of just overwhelm me when I think about that. Amen, brother. Tony Baselli joining us. He's a Hall of Famer. Tony, you mentioned family. Your father, Tony Sr., passed away last year. And I know that you were really hoping to get in before he passed because he was your biggest fan of all. Last Thursday, there was a reception with friends, family, and teammates. That reception, Tony, included a video of people close to you talking about you. And then at the very end of the video, your father was on the screen talking to you and congratulating you. It was an amazing thing. Is there any way for you even to put into words how that felt? Well, let me try to do it without just, you know, crying um, <laughs> because, you know, my dad, you know, when I found out last year that I didn't make it, you know, for the fifth time, you know, the, the my first thought was my dad, there's a good chance he's not going to make it because he had cancer and he was battling, he was fighting his tail off. As he, as he always had and everything he did in life. But, you know, the doctors were, it wasn't a good outlook. And so that bummed me out because there was a good chance he wouldn't be there. And then he passed away on Memorial Day. And, uh, you know, anyone who's lost a parent, you know how hard that is. Um, and so what I did not know that, though, that 12 days before he passed, my wife, Angie, and one of my best friends, a guy named Eric Murphy, like had the, had the idea and thought like, let's get a video of Tony's dad congratulating to the hall of fame. And if he makes it one day, well, it'll be great. This will be, if he makes it this year, what a moment. And so they sat down with him and, and he didn't want to do it. The funny thing is he's stubborn and hardheaded. Uh, I, I know exactly where I get it from. And he didn't want to do it because he, one, he didn't want to admit that he wasn't going to be there. Mm. And it's the biggest reason, but he did the video and I had no idea. So I'm sitting there in Heritage Hall at SC and we're having a party and close friends and the Jaguars hosted it. It was amazing. And, and you know, SC was so gracious and, and setting the whole thing up. And at the end of this video, and a lot of funny comments from people they're close to and, and then all of a sudden my dad pops up and one, you can tell he's fighting for his life at the, you know, in the video and he starts talking to me and I'll be honest with you, I got to go back and watch it because I couldn't even look at it because I got started getting emotional and I put my head in my hands. And But the one thing that stood out that every son wants to hear is he said how proud of, of me he was.
And if I'm thinking of all the great moments that I've experienced during this process and the great people and the, the, you know, the words of encouragement, people reaching out to me, there's nothing that is above that moment um, of hearing my dad congratulate me and, and saying how proud he was of me. It was, it was, I'm so thankful to my wife and my friend Eric for doing it. And uh, I wish he was here. Uh, I know he's looking down from heaven and he's proud and has a smile on his face. And, and that was a special moment. Tony, where is the conversation where you get multiple goosebump moments, but it just happened again? What a great, great story that is. Tony Baselli is my guest. He's a Hall of Famer. Tony mentioned that as part of the humbling experience was the fact that you got to go up against so many great players in your career. Bruce Smith was the one who introduced you as a member of the class at NFL Honors. What was it like to go up against him back in the day? Well, he was the best. I mean, everyone talks about Aaron Donald today, and they should. He's an amazing player, but that was Bruce Smith. I mean, he dominated people and dominated games. He, he wrecked offenses. And he's a big part of the story of my career because in 96, when we played Buffalo up in Buffalo in the playoffs and Bruce was MVP, defensive MVP of the year of the league that year. And, and I was matched up one-on-one with him, and, and I played well. I had a good game and I had a bunch of battles with him after that. And, but that was really the one probably that put me on, you know, the national map of one of the better offensive linemen in the NFL during that era. And I have the utmost respect for Bruce. And we had big battles. I mean, I'm not sure how much we liked each other when we played. Um, and we got after it pretty well. And I had no idea, Jim, who was going to be introducing me. And so I'm sitting backstage at the honors, and, and all of a sudden I hear my name introduced, and it's Bruce. And as I'm walking on that stage, it's just like, golly, this is an amazing moment. Because, I, because of who Bruce Smith was, and I joked with him because he came up on stage and gave Alt a hug and he congratulated me. You know, he didn't have the gold jacket on. He had his red jacket on, which is the 100-year anniversary of the top, you know, the top NFL team. And I looked at him and I said, he said, welcome to Hall of Fame and, and we're teammates. And I said, yeah, we're teammates, but you're, you're in the Hall of Fame of Hall of Famers. I mean, that's how good he was. I mean, you talk about the all-time greats, the guys who defined football. Yes, every Hall of Famer is that. But he's, you know, when you start talking, you know, the conversation today is, is, is Aaron Donald the greatest defensive player ever? I said, well, there's pretty stiff competition. He's probably, he's in the conversation, but so is Bruce Smith. So is Reggie White. So is Lawrence Taylor, Deacon Jones. Um, and to have one of those type of players introduce me and, and, the, and the fact that I got to play against him um, was truly an honor. And it was an amazing, it was an amazing moment that night. It was an amazing opportunity for me to be able to compete against a guy like Bruce Smith. Another great, great conversation point right there. And you are a good person, Tony, to talk about because you are such a football junkie and you just demonstrated that once again. You know, the thing about this, Tony, you remember it, and now we know as well as we've ever known what the Bills Mafia is like. When you arrived at Ralph Wilson Stadium, the bus was being pelted with snowballs. Somebody yelled at you, quote, Baselli, you're going to be Bruce Smith's bitch. And then in the buildup to that game, even Thurman Thomas said, quote, the Jaguars are talking a lot of noise. They act like they've been in the league 10 or 12 years. Just as quick as they get in is as quick as they're going to get their ass out. I mean, that, that's not a fan. That was Thurman Thomas, of all people, saying that. What was the mood like in the locker room before that game? And then how good did it feel to get that win in their place? Yeah, well, first of all, I was, I was nervous as crap um, because I, I knew I was getting ready to walk out to play Bruce Smith and and our game plan um, wasn't really com- com- uh, complex from the standpoint. Kevin Gilbride, offensive coordinator, said, um, Tony, you're going to block Bruce Smith today. I'm like, that's it? That's all we're <laughs> that's doing? That's the plan? Yep. <laughs> that's the plan. And so I realized, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get exposed. Like, I'm going to go out on this field. It's playoffs. Everyone's watching. Greatest player in football on the defense side of the ball is my assignment. And we're going to find out real quick um, how I measure up. And I remember you said it, the fan screaming at me. And when he made that comment, Jim, I swear to you, I actually I looked at the fan who said that. I started jogging down the sideline, and I said, I sure hope he's not right. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like, that means it's going to be a bad day. And we went out and competed. We beat him. I think we gained a lot of respect in the NFL, I think, as individual players as a team. Um, and that was an amazing moment for me personally, like, the battle against Bruce that day was amazing. I mean, it was physical, it was nasty. It was how football should be played, in my opinion. 
And and I'm not sure Bruce left the field liking me very much. But there was respect, and that's what you want as a player. You want to respect your opponent, and you want the opponent to respect you. And that's one of the highlights of my career. And we, you know, and stuff, there's a bunch more. But you look at that Bills team and the Hall of Famers, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, uh, Andre Reid, Bruce Smith. I mean, they had great players. And for us to be able to go up there and into Buffalo, and they'd never lost a playoff game in Buffalo before that moment. And for us to get to go play that game and, and beat them there was, uh, was awesome. Tony, I know, for instance, before I let you go, I know you obviously have such amazing memories because that first Jacksonville Jaguar team, or in your first year, you guys went 4-12, and and then you ripped off four straight playoff appearances. And I know, because I know you, you remember, like, our show, we came down there. We did shows. We yep. talked to you guys. You came on the show. Rob Johnson would come on the show. I mean, lots of the guys would come on the show. Keenan McCardell, Jimmy Smith. I mean, it was such a great time. Even Fred Taylor would do the show, who, by the way, maybe we can slip that in. He's been a semifinalist for the Hall of Fame. Like, what kind of a case would you make for him to be? Is there any doubt in your mind that he should be a Hall of Famer? Well, if you look at the production and you look at the numbers, it's hard to argue him not being in the Hall of Fame. I think I think there's only two guys, and he has like 12,000 yards. And there's, I think there's only two guys in the history of the NFL that have a uh, over 4.6 yards per carry. Hmm. And Fred's one of them. I think Jim Brown's the other. Maybe it's Adrian Peterson. But he's like, if you look at just pure production, there was no one who, I mean, who else you can compare him to? You know, the people that say, well, he never made all pro, you know, only one pro bowl. You know, okay, you can say what you want, but if you go ask guys who played against them, who had to deal with them, go ask the guys on, you know, who played at Jacksonville during uh, his era, I'll tell you this, there's not a back I would have traded them for because what he could do with the size, the speed, he was a home run threat, he could run between the tackles. I mean, in my opinion, if you turn on the tape, there's not many better than Fred Taylor. You know, Tony, it kind of reminds me of the morons who try to discredit Frank Gore in any way, to your point. Anybody who knows anything about anything who went against or played with Frank Gore understand his value. So, Tony, finally, I mean, it's all sinking in, and so great to get caught up with you, but have you had a chance, finally, leave me with this thought, to think about who you would like to have as your presenter at the induction ceremony? Yeah, I, Jim, I do, and I, I'm, I'm not going to say who it is yet. Because I've yet to talk to that individual. My, actually, it's funny, just I think maybe yesterday or the day before, my wife and I were kind of going through it, and I was kind of bouncing off her a couple thoughts and what I was thinking about. And I just recently, just like really uh, recently, have said, okay, I know exactly who that is. But I don't want them to hear about it on the national <laughs> on I got the show. You. I got you. Um, but I, but I, do, I do know who I want it to be. Oh, I'm anxious to find out who that is. A member of the 1990s All-Decade team. I ran down that resume. Three-time first-team All-American at USC. He was the first draft pick in Jacksonville Jaguar history. And most importantly now, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Tony, like you said, it had been a second. So awesome to get caught up. Congratulations. And I really appreciate you making all that time to share your thoughts. And so great to see you, Tony. Appreciate it so much. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. Anytime, let's, let's make sure it's a little bit, uh, it's not quite as long of a time in between visits. Uh, always appreciate you and all the support. And we go way back to the L.A. days, so uh, I'm glad you're still trucking. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Gino. Gino, what's going on? 
Romy, man, that uh, that that pod was it was pretty pretty incredible, very enjoyable. That's the thing about Klosterman. He's not only I think without question the greatest pop culture writer of our generation. You go and and you know read his books from Sex Drugs Cocoa Puffs to uh, I think it was called But What If We're Wrong. Uh, that one actually hurt my brain. It was it was uh, it was uh, it wasn't an easy read. But uh, I will say that I've, I probably listen to every Klosterman interview that he's ever done. That your pod yesterday was amazing, and I, I'll say the reason for this phone call is that I've actually heard Klosterman talk about you on other people's podcasts quite a bit. It's not an uncommon subject for him to talk about the influence of your show on him. And when he talked about, you know, I think I don't know if he was jesting or not about whether or not you invented the internet, but I will say you definitely have influence you know, modern sport, sports talk radio and sports talk, whether it's across ESPN Sports Center or otherwise, more than anybody in the last 20 or 30 years. And I remember, you remember this, just real quick story, uh, Andrew in San Antonio, the 6,000-pound gorilla, he was gave me my own show in San Antonio, and all the other sports guys in there absolutely hated you. And they told me, like, if you if you think you're going to do some sort of a thing like Jim Rome does, that's not going to last. It'll never last. Well, the joke's on all those people. They're all unemployed. And the entire format has basically been influenced by you probably more than anybody else in the history of the genre. And uh, so I love that interview, Rome, and I hope uh, continued success with that. And uh, uh, that was it. I just wanted to say how much I loved it. So that being said, because I spent the first two hours talking L.A., why don't we talk about something on the other side of the country? After all, it didn't really happen unless it happened in New York. All right, let's talk Knicks. Why don't we talk about the Knicks? I know it's hard to believe. It didn't last very long, did it? Like the Knicks were actually kind of decent last season. They were actually sort of worthy of our respect. Yeah, I know, I know. It sounds like I made it up, but I'm serious. It's true. They were actually watchable. They actually made the postseason. They actually had the garden rocking again. There was actually hope for a good future, which is pretty hilarious because we're talking about the Knicks. And now a year later, that hope is already dead. Don't tell me I don't talk about things on the other side of the country. That hope is already dead. Like... They should have come out of their timeouts with time to die or already dead. Not only was that hope killed, it was brutally murdered. That hope was fitted with cement shoes and sent to the bottom of the Hudson River. In other words, that hope now swims with the fishes because the Knicks proved last night that they're still really good. In fact, they proved to me last night they're even elite. Elite at being bad. They're very, very good at being very, very bad. In fact, nobody's better. So what am I saying? Are they the best or the worst? Yes. Being a Knicks fan has got to be the worst form of torture. In fact, it's got to be an insult to actual torture. I'd rather get waterboarded than watch a full season or even a full half of Knicks basketball. And of all the horrible, ugly, humiliating weeks in Knicks history, and there have been a lot of them, this is another one. Because New York blew a 28-point lead to lose to the Crosstown Nets at the Garden last night. And that was only after blowing a 23-point lead to the Blazers on Sunday. And that was and losing to the Thunder at home in between all that. These aren't exactly teams going places. You know what I'm saying? The Knicks have now blown three 20-point leads in this month alone. Do you hear what I just said? They've blown three 20-point leads in this month alone. And if blowing leads that big, that often, sounds like something that does not happen very often, it's because it doesn't. Pretty much ever. No team this century has ever blown three 20-point leads in the same month. And they still have two more games left in February on the other side of the All-Star break. They can break that record. 
Well, actually, they already have the record. They can extend the record. They can put that record out of reach. Not that anybody will ever do that again. Listen, like I said, still the absolute best. It being the absolute worst. They've now lost 13 of their last 16. They're now three and a half games out of a play-in spot. They are in total and utter free-fall mode. But somehow, it's going to get even worse, right? Because that Nets team that handed the Knicks their asses didn't have KD, didn't have Kyrie, didn't have Ben Simmons. No, the star for the Nets last night was Cam Thomas, a rookie. A rookie who started this game 1-4-9 from the field and ended it by sticking the dagger in so deep. It went all the way through and came out the other side. Thomas, long three-pointer. Can you even listen and hear the stunned outrage in that building? The Knicks might be the worst, but MSG is still the best. That building, those fans deserve so much better. But what they get is this never-ending supply of stinking hot garbage. Garbage. The Nets just got done losing 11 in a row. 11 in a row. They just blew up their big three or big two and a half or whatever the hell we're calling it. It's not like Brooklyn is in a good place. But compared to the Knicks, they're the bleeping 98 Bulls. I don't even know what to tell you, Knicks fan. I really don't. You know I'm not about to call for coaches to get bleep canned, especially when that coach was the literal coach of the year last season. And man, was that ever deserved. Tibbs made the Knicks watchable for an entire year. That's not even funny. That's a miracle. But not even a miracle or a miracle worker can keep that up with this team. Tibbs could not even keep it going for 12 more months. As the legend Charles Oakley once said, quote, if it ain't broke, don't break it. Somebody should ask Oak, what to do with something that is completely broke and can't be fixed. Because at this point, the Knicks brass has to be out of ideas, right? They've tried everything, and everything has failed. Everything has wound up a gigantic, flaming dumpster fire, sending toxic New York fumes into the air at 32nd and 7th Avenue. They're a public disgrace. They're an abject failure. The only thing that could make it any worse is if the straight shot started performing at halftime of every game. Wash away my troubles, wash away my pain with the rain in Shambhala. Wash away my sorrow, wash Get it, away Rit. my shame with the rain in Shambhala. Get it, Rit. Maybe J.D. and company should try that. But you dare turn that down, Alvin. My ears are bleeding. I've already gouged my eyes out watching them play basketball. I'm bleeding from my ears listening to that. Maybe J.D. just needs to threaten the team with a little Shambhala. Like, if you guys don't get your asses in gear and you lose, we play halftime in the next game. You win, you spare yourself the ear bleed and the humiliation. You tell me, is that idea any worse than anything else they've come up with? What else do you have to lose, Jimmy? Your fans are gouging their eyes out and bleeding from their ears. Why not? Just for once. Use your offensively horrible music for some kind of good. And if that doesn't work, I've got one final idea. How about this? You sitting down, Jim? Sell the bleeping team to somebody else. How about that? Have you thought about that? Sell the bleeping team to somebody else. Yeah. You 
want to not come to any more games? Yeah, I'd love that too. That's rude. But what it was that some kind of threat? Would you like to not come to any more games? Yeah, yeah, Jim. I would love to not come to any more games. I, lo I love how he thinks that's like a threat. Hey, man, let me tell you something. I will rip your ticket so fast, it'll make your head spin. Good. Good, dude. Give me my money back while you're at it. Oh, and sell the team. Give me back my This guy holding that over his head like, hey, hey, how would you like to not attend any more of these games? It'd be the best thing that ever happened to me, old man. Hey, I know that sound. In fact, I love that sound. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify actually is amazing. It gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. What I'm saying is, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me. I mean, you wouldn't believe how this podcast started, and what we were selling when we started, and what we're selling right now. Shopify. I love how Shopify has the tools and the resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. I'm telling you, Shopify powers over millions of businesses just like ours from first sale to full scale. So reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now. Shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Ernest Jones is my guest. Ernest it's good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Good, dude. Good. So let me ask you, for the rest of your life, you are going to be introduced as such, as a Super Bowl champion. How does that feel, and does it feel the way you thought it would? Oh, it feels exactly how I thought it would. It's still, like, surreal for me. I'm I'm still kind of in the moment, like, at 22 years old, to just say I've, I've won a Super Bowl. Like, it's it's... It's unbelievable. That is incredible. I was going to ask you about that, and I will ask you about that. The fact that you're a 22-year-old guy and you've already won it. I've got to ask, though, what was the parade experience like for you yesterday? I had, I'm had i an L.A. native, so I had an absolute blast watching it. What was it like to be in the middle of it? Man, it was amazing. Like Just seeing all the fans come out and support, like just feeling their energy. They were just as excited as us. Like Just knowing that they're Rams fans, that they're happy. You know, This was a long time coming. It was amazing, like, the whole entire parade, everything. Ernest Jones is joining us. I loved how fired up Sean McVay got. He got loose. He was chanting, run it back, run it back. He had his red silo cup. He was he was in the moment, man. He was shredded and feeling it. How fired up were you to see your coach get like that? No, I was, I was definitely lit with him. Like, man, it was amazing to just see him out there having fun with us. We usually see him, you know, he's just, he's always usually a fun guy to be around. But to, to see him let go like that was amazing. You know, Ernestine, it's one thing for you to be able to say, hey, I'm 22 and I've won a Super Bowl ring or a championship, but it's not just that you're a champ. You had a massive game, a massive game in the Super Bowl, as I mentioned, seven tackles, three quarterback hits, and a sack. As a defense, before I get into your individual play, as a defense, what was your mindset? Did you feel like you guys would have success getting home, getting to, and hitting Joe Burrow consistently? Well, we knew, like, coming into the game – that that AD was going to just command a lot of respect. And um, just knowing that a lot of teams slide towards AD and get as much protection to him. So as far as getting home, I knew that I would have my one-on-one -on -one opportunities with the back. And I just knew that I had to win um, majority of them. And that and I did so, and I was able to get home on Burroughs at one point in time and, and able to affect him. Right, so that one point in time, I was going to say, excuse me, at one point in time, that sack in the third quarter was a thing of beauty. Joe Mixon tried to get you on a blitz pickup, but you ran over slash right through him, and you kept on going after Burrow. What do you remember about that play, and then how good did it feel to get home and get that sack? And I just remember, like, the, the hole was just wide open, and I just remember it just being me and him, 
and most of the time that we were pass or pass, he was pass blocking against me. He was just sitting back, and I was just going right into him and bullying him. But this time he attacked me, so I knew he was going to try to cut me. So just being able to get my get my hands down and get my kind of my body and legs out of the way was just great and able to just go get the quarterback. Ernest Jones of the Rams joining us. You also had that huge pass breakup when they went for it on fourth and one in the first quarter. What did you see on that play? Um, uh, the just the the running back and the 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 motion before, um, just knew knowing that the the ball was going to be snapped because he was motioning to the boundary like that. And just when I seen the running back go out that way, I didn't really have him in man, but with a fast receiver like that, I kind of go towards that zone, and I was just able to get through that way. And Joe, um, you know, he was he double clutched it, I believe, but he ended up throwing, and I was able to get a hand in there. You know, Ernest, it seems like guys, whenever you talk to any athlete, any coach, any GM, it's always culture, culture, culture. And I think people get tired of hearing about that. But there's something to it, like something I've always respected about the Rams and about leadership and about Les Snead and Sean McVay is they're utterly fearless. Like Snead said, quote, wake up sprinting. Don't be scared. We're not trying to go eight and eight. End of quote. What's it been like for you to come into this organization and be a part of this fearless group of guys and a fearless culture? It's been great. Like since day one, talking to Coach McVay and, and and Les, I mean, it's been a we not me mentality, and everybody in there embodies that. We all truly want to win, and we all wake up every day, regardless of circumstances outside of football. And we come in and we we get ready to go, you know, compete and win a championship. And from day one, I had to come in and just just follow their lead, and that's how we became world champions. Just because we woke up every single day and just would not be denied even when things weren't going that way you know it sounds like to me that sounds like a variation on my favorite theme standard over feelings is that what you're talking about right there standard over feelings of course 100 percent. Ernest Jones joining us glad to hear it I love that so when you see McVeigh chanting run it back I understand that probably maybe he had a few pops maybe everybody had a few pops maybe you're caught up in the moment in the parade but does that make you think that he and Aaron Donald might run it back and that they both might be back next season? Do you have a strong no, I, opinion? There's, I, I 100% believe that we are, we're going to run it back. Everybody is going to do their best to, you know, keep this group together. I know the front office is going to do their best because I know I sure as heck want AD back and all the guys. So it, it's going to happen, and we're going we're gonna to make our run, try, you know, and try and do it again. Ernest Jones joining us. So you mentioned a few moments ago that I'm 22. I'm 22, and I've already got to lift the Lombardi. You did all of this as a rookie. What's it been like to come into this particular team as a rookie, become a starter, and then have a huge role in the Super Bowl? Yeah, from the beginning, you learn, like, they these guys are, you know, mean business. Um, they they have been, you know, a lot of these guys are have been, on the, been playing in the league and veteran guys and haven't even, like, played in the Super Bowl, let alone won one. So just coming in, I felt I felt the determination from each of those guys and knew that I had to, you know, come with everything. And eventually I got my shot to become the starter, and I did everything possible to just not let those guys down and do what I needed to do. Hey, listen, you proved that you deserved that shot. You made the most of that shot. You played enormous on the biggest stage. I'm curious, though, like, and so you, you know you belong there, but what was it like – playing with guys like Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Jalen Ramsey. We're talking about guys that are all going to end up with yellow jackets for sure. Where did you learn from those guys? Man, and you got to include Eric Weddle in that. Like, oh, I was going to get there four, next. I definitely was going to oh, get there. So I love sorry, Weddle. But those guys there, I mean, like Aaron Donald's freak of nature, nothing, nothing like he does that went unseen. And we sat right beside each other and, just watching him was just enough for me to learn how to take care of my body, to go about the day, to even get mentally prepared. Um, and then Jalen, Jalen is just different. He's just all around athlete and he gives you insights on just how to go about doing things that may not be, you know, the normal way of somehow it's supposed to, but it's all about, you know, finding what's good for your body um, with him. And Vaughn is just, Vaughn's just a great guy to be around. I've learned everything from him, just from nutrition to body, anything like that. So it's been great learning from them. That was great the way you just broke down all three of those guys. And then what about my guy, Eric Weddle, dude? Like, what was it like to be around him? And then what was it like to see him out there with one arm refusing to come out of that game? You talking about, like, true leadership? Like, 
I'll forever remember Eric Weddle for those few weeks that I, I was around him just because, like, I, I strive to be a, a leader and as vocal and as, like, as smart as he is. Like, that man is he's, – he's amazing. And to come off whatever he was doing, I'm not even sure what he was doing, but to come out here and play the way he did, to impact this game the way he did, like, it, it's amazing. Ernest, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing what you just said. That you, for the rest of your life, you're going to remember those few weeks that you spent with Weddle. That's an amazing thing. And when you just said, I aspire to be as intelligent as he was, listen, your coaches all the way up always talk about your football IQ and your acumen. Before I let you go, I want to ask you this. You're from Waycross, Georgia. It was recently Ernest Jones Day in Waycross. The local DQ created a special blizzard in your honor. What's it mean to be from that town? And how do you explain going from being from a small town to being a Super Bowl champion in such a short period of time? You know, I can't really explain it because us small town guys are like counted out. Like we're we're supposed to, you know, just do kind of the bare minimum. But I believe, like, me just helping, you know, break that mold. And, you know, my community means everything to me. Them, you know, naming a blizzard after me, even a day, like, that's just – it means everything to me, like, to just be a positive role model to those in the community. And, you know, just give them hope that it's possible. Like, I did it and I stayed 10, 15 minutes away from most of y'all. And y'all see me every day. So, it it just means everything. I got to ask you really quickly. So, like, when you come from a small town like that, and you obviously have such great pride in the community, did you just kind of put your head down every single day and just keep attacking the process and you ended up here? Or when you started way back when, did you have a clear vision in your mind that this is where you could end up? No, I just, you said it. Like, every day I just put my head down and stuff just started happening. Like, one scholarship offer and then came to SEC offers, and then it just, you know, trickled down to, you know, being here. So I'm just going to continue to do that, keep my head down, and we'll see what happens. Oh, dude, I love that so much. I love that. I love that so much that you just put your head down and stuff started to happen because you and I both know stuff did not just start to happen. You put your (laughs) head down, and then stuff started to happen. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Rams linebacker, Super Bowl champion, and he had an enormous day on the biggest day of his football life, Ernest Jones. My man, so good to have you on the show. Really nice to meet you. Really nice to talk to you. And you brought some great energy today, too, so I appreciate you. No, I thank you so much for having me. Ben Golver is joining us. And how are you? I'm doing very well, Jim. Live from Cleveland for NBA All-Star Weekend. The uh, festivities are starting to ramp up here a little bit. It feels great. My man, you and I have done this long enough that you already answered the first question. I was going to say, you are currently in Cleveland for All-Star Weekend. Joe Noah, Ben, famously hated going to Cleveland. He thought it, quote, sucks. How does the city look to you right now? Well, you know, I'll try to be polite, I guess. You know, I'm coming from, like, 80 degrees in Los Angeles. It's a little bit colder, I'd say that. But, you know, you're starting to see the former NBA legends uh, making their ways into the various hotels. you got signs up all over the arenas, you know, with guys like Giannis and LeBron and Devin Booker uh, on the big billboards. And I think there's an excitement buzzing for sure. I think one big aspect to this year's festivities is obviously the 75th anniversary for the NBA where they're going to be honoring uh, the top 75 players of all time. But it also helps that the Cleveland Cavaliers have been having such a great season, too. And I think there's a lot of excitement around that team. You know, you see pictures of Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, some of these rising stars. And they've got uh, both Garland and uh, Jarrett Allen in the All-Star game as well. So I think there's a local excitement about their team. And then also, uh, you know, the the more national excitement of getting all these big names together in one place. Right. I'm happy for the locals. They've been playing really well of late. Ben Galbraith joining us. So you wrote about this for the Washington Post NBA newsletter What are your early thoughts on the slam dunk contest this time around? Well, Jim, you might remember last year's slam dunk contest, right? No crowd. They're in Atlanta. They have three guys. Um, You know, they don't even have the full field that they typically do. They condensed it. It was at halftime of the all-star game. I mean, it was very forgettable. The guy who won Anthony Simons, I mean, bless his heart. It was a good idea for a dunk. He wanted to kiss the rim, but he didn't even actually kiss the rim. I mean, he missed it completely, and he still won the contest, right? So it's kind of a low bar for this year now. That being said, they didn't exactly get a lot of star power in this year's competition. I think if you're looking for one guy to kind of keep an eye on, it's probably Jalen Green from Houston. Now, he struggled as a rookie, but he was the number two pick in this year's draft. He can really get up off the hardwood quick. He's very graceful in midair. I expect some nice tricks from him. 
And then the other guy would be Cole Anthony from the Orlando Magic. I mean, this guy might be one of the most confident players in the entire NBA. He absolutely owns it anytime he gets in uh, post-game interview settings. I mean, he really talks himself up, you know, talks his teammates up. He's just got that brash confidence. He's the son of, uh, son of former NBA player Greg Anthony, and he can jump too. So keep an eye on those two guys. I think they're going to be able to put on a show and let's be honest, it can't be worse than last year, right? Well said. No, it cannot. Ben Galver is joining us. He's in Cleveland for the All-Star festivities. You mentioned Greg Anthony. Ben, I was, like I said, I'm a big West guy. I went to UCSB. I will never forget Greg Anthony and UNLV rolling into Santa Barbara. I had so much fun watching that. So I'm not at all surprised to see his kid with that kind of swagger. Ben, what about Anthony Davis going down, that ankle injury? It looked really, really bad. I guess in some ways it's good for the Lakers that it's happening going into the All-Star break. But if he misses more than the originally projected two weeks how big of a blow is that to the Lakers well look I think you can give LeBron James a lot of credit for keeping that team together last night after that injury for gutting out a really nice comeback win and sort of just you know choosing not to fold but when I saw that injury happen my first instinct was well there goes the Lakers season there goes their playoff hopes I mean they've had so many injury issues for Anthony Davis here over the last two years and if they are not gelling and if they don't have their full team healthy, they're not going to be able to make up the kind of ground that they need, Jim. And right now they're stuck in the Western Conference's play and mix. That injury looked bad to me. That did not look like a two-week injury. That looked more like a four- or five-week injury, maybe even longer. The way he rolled that ankle all the way over, it just looked tough. And I actually think they're in bigger risk of falling out of the play-in mix and being a lottery team than they are of being able to get out of the play and mix and actually be one of the top six seeds in the Western Conference. I know that sounds crazy because you still got LeBron, you still got Russell Westbrook, but they've just been so up and down this year. Their defense has not been very good. They're going to have to play LeBron a lot of minutes, and he's been showing a lot of signs of fatigue here uh, recently. And they also have the NBA's toughest schedule after the All-Star break, which is going to do them no favors either. So, I think they're really up a creek. You know, I'm pretty pessimistic about the Lakers at this point. I think their best-case scenario is they lose in the first round of the playoffs, and that's crazy because coming into the season, we thought they were going to win the Western Conference. Ben Golver is joining us, breaking it all down as always. All right, Ben, let me jump ahead. What about James Harden? He is now officially a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. How do you see Harden and Joel Embiid fitting together? Well, you know, before I get to that, could I just say this uh, on the net side? It's a shame that Kevin Durant is not as good at being a power broker as he is at being a player, right? This is an all-time top 20 type of player, right? But when it comes to all the stuff off the court in terms of putting together teams, lining up the guys around him, getting a big three, you know, selecting his co-stars and all of that, I think it's been a real, real tough track record here over the last couple of years. I mean, he's definitely been let uh, down by Kyrie Irving over these last two seasons. No question about it, right? And then you look at this Harden experiment. It lasted 13 months. They played 10 regular season games together. And now Harden, a guy who he's known since uh, you know Harden was a rookie and, and they were playing together in Oklahoma City, just kind of bails on him. And Kevin Durant's response to all of that was to just be like, you know what, you know, just kind of roll with the punches. If he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here. And I just think, you know, if, if there was maybe stronger bonds there between these two stars, maybe if Kevin Durant was a little bit more assertive in terms of how he, uh, you know, commands respect among his peers, I think maybe they could have found a way to keep that thing together and, and made another push here this season. Instead, the entire thing blows up. And the question does become, how does Harden fit with Embiid? I think, you know, on the pace side, it should be a good fit. You know, Harden has been working his way into shape kind of all season long. He was dealing with some injuries last year. He's going to be better off playing a little bit slower than Brooklyn wanted to play. And then Embiid, obviously, we've seen in the playoffs previously, if uh, the pace gets turned uh, up too high or if he's playing too many minutes, he tends to wear down. So I actually think they're a pretty good match from a pace perspective. But they both need the ball in their hands. Embiid's a much better defensive player than Harden is. Harden wants to switch everything defensively. Embiid's not really a guy to step out and switch a lot. And so they're going to have to work through those challenges. I think the trickiest part for both Philadelphia and Brooklyn, it's the accelerated timeline, right? They have two months to get this right before the playoffs. And the problem is you've got teams like Milwaukee and Miami whose core groups have played together, who are clicking, who have the continuity, who have the chemistry, and we're going to have a huge advantage over sort of these makeshift teams once they actually reach the playoffs. So I don't see this new Philly combination, even though it looks good on paper, I don't see them making like a finals run. 
I don't think Brooklyn, kind of the same deal. I have no idea what to expect from Ben Simmons. I don't think they're going to make a deep playoff run either. I'm banking on the teams like Milwaukee and uh, Miami in the East and then Phoenix and Golden State in the West that have the continuity, who have been playing at a high level all season, and who are going to carry that momentum into the playoffs. My man, you just covered so much great ground right there. I really appreciate that. Ben Galver joining us. Ben, go back to your other point, though, about Kevin Durant. Like, on top of what you just said, not only did he kind of just like, well, you know, I guess that's how it goes. He actually said, quote, everybody got what they wanted, end of quote, in this trade. I mean, is that what Durant wanted when he signed with the Nets? What does he mean, everybody got what they wanted? Hey, Jim, they call that spin, man. You know, James Harden got what he wanted, right? He's going to Philly with Daryl Morey. He's going to get a gigantic new contract this summer. Joel Embiid got what he wanted. He doesn't have to play with Ben Simmons anymore. Daryl Morey got what he wanted. He pulled a, a rabbit out of his hat, right? He got a superstar player for a guy who wasn't even playing for Philadelphia. And uh, I think you could even say Brooklyn's management maybe got what they wanted, too, a face-saving trade package where they're getting multiple rotation players and a couple draft picks, and at least they can look good and say, hey, you know, Harden didn't want to be here, so we were able to get something back for him rather than him leaving for nothing uh, this summer. But we have to step back and ask, did Kevin Durant really get what he wanted? Right. Because the whole idea they were telling us, Jim, was scary hours, right? How many times did, uh, did Harden say it's going to be scary hours with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Harden in Brooklyn? And, you know, it was – flashes in last year's playoffs but injuries undid them they weren't able to keep it together from a personality perspective obviously Kyrie Irving's vaccination status his decision not to take the shot put a cloud over their entire season and it certainly made the relationships between those stars more tense um, over these last couple of months especially when they would hit some adversity and now it's already gone so I do not understand how everybody got what they wanted I think a lot of people did but Kevin Durant did not. I was just going to say, Ben, when Kevin Durant says everybody got what they wanted, what he means is everybody except me got what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. What kind of a statement yeah. is that? All right, so really quickly, Ben, before you go, what about the Knicks? They blow a 28-point lead to the Nets last night. They've lost three straight. They've lost seven of eight. They traded for Cam Reddish before the deadline. They barely used him. What the hell are they doing right now? Where is that team right now? Well, here's my thing on the Knicks. Like, I, I'm not ripping my hair out and panicking about them because I never thought they were that good in the first place. You know, they had a nice regular season last year. They got absolutely smoked in the playoffs by an Atlanta team that was good but not great, right? They overhauled their, uh, their entire rotation during the offseason. They bring in a whole bunch of guys who can't play defense, and now they're struggling with uh, chemistry continuity, and having a guy like Julius Randle come back to earth a little bit this, this season has made things more difficult you know, to me, I think you've hit the right point. They need to be playing their younger guys more. They kind of just need to pull the plug and say, all right, let's see, uh, you know, give as many minutes as possible to some of these prospects and see what they can do and, and see and try to play for the future a little bit rather than running out some of these veterans who just have not been delivering this season. But the problem is, if that's how you want to play it, if you want to play for the future, you've got the worst possible coach in the league to do that because Tom Thibodeau doesn't want to play for the future. He wants to play for today only. He wants to grind out every possible win. And so I do think there's a natural tension there. The front office trades for Cam Reddish and thinks, well, we'll get a nice look at him before we have to potentially sign him to a new contract this summer. And Tom Thibodeau says, sorry, I'm just going to play my vets. You know, he can just rot on the bench. And that's not a very functional dynamic. Those guys are not on the same page. And I think it's been a, you know, a problem kind of all season long. But to me, the biggest issue was inflated expectations. I mean, these guys were never really that good. You know, Julius Randle was never a franchise quality level player. And I think a lot of the disappointment they're feeling is sort of self-inflicted. You know, the fan base just got too excited. Good night now!